There are many things I'm grateful for about living and working in Westfield. One of them is that our parish is across the street from the police station. Not because it affords us extra security, but because it allows me to say that there is grace next to law. It also means that I'm handy to vouch for a member of the parish who may have spent the night in a police cell and needs me to attest to their good character, which I was called on to do earlier this summer. The errant parishioner was short, mouthy and attitudinal. I say he's a parishioner, but he rarely comes to church, and when he does, it's only out of curiosity or to see what he can scrounge and never to worship. The one time I invited him was to the blessing of the animal service, but he flicked his tail at me and walked away. He is Oreo, our 14-year-old tabby cat. And if ever a creature deserved a night in the cells, it is he. (laughs) It was last month, and as he often does in the summer, he spent the night outside. But, as is never the case in the summer, he was not whining at the front door in the morning demanding breakfast. His absence crept past lunchtime and into the late afternoon. Galind and I grew worried. I searched the town while Galind scoured community websites, including Tap into Westfield, which she knew had a lost pets page. And there, glory be, the police department had posted Oreo's mugshot. <laughs> There he was, in all his shame for the world to sneer at. Turns out, he had crossed Broad Street the previous night and sauntered into the police station and refused to leave. So, he was detained at the pleasure of the municipality and held in the cells. When we arrived to collect him, we were taken back to his place of incarceration. The duty sergeant unlocked the cell, and out he swaggered, high-fiving everyone as he went. (laughs) Has he learnt his lesson? Well, he hasn't crossed Broad Street since, and he is always at the rectory front door each morning waiting for breakfast. Orange is the new tabby. (laughs) Come with me on another prison visit, a Roman prison around 60 AD. Stand with me in the dimly lit corridor of the jail and peer into the cell. It's occupied by an elderly, peaceful-looking man. He doesn't look like a hardened criminal, and he isn't. In fact, he has special privileges. He is a Roman citizen, which sets him apart from the other inmates. A scribe comes each day to record his thoughts, which he dictates. This friend has great respect for this venerable leader. He faithfully listens to every word and records them with diligence on a scroll of parchment. This old jailbird has a weather-beaten face. 
lines and scars that tell the story of shipwrecks, physical punishment and years of plying his trade under the Mediterranean sun. As you talk with him, you learn that he in fact has two trades. He makes tents, or at least he did until that other trade got him into trouble. For this man's tent making is only a means to an end. His fixation, his magnificent obsession, the reason why he was born, if you please, is to tell anyone who will listen a story. The story. The tale of a man sent by God, a man who is God, and his passion and compassion for the world. He must tell this story. He doesn't care whom he offends, and he doesn't mind what painful consequence he must face. Proclaim it, he must. Seized and compelled by an irresistible call. And that is why he's here, waiting for trial, for telling the story. This Paul, as he is now called, paces, reads letters, prays. He asks after the health of his guards and their families. He tells them the story. And he receives these visits from the scribe and others, local believers in the story who bring him food and clothes. And they tell him their stories too. And Paul, the pastor he is, takes their stories of suffering, persecution, even martyrdom, and blends them with the story. And he bakes a bread that brings comfort to his friends. On this day, when the scribe visits, Paul is deep in contemplation. He has things he wants to tell his friends in the Ephesian church, but for once words fail him. How can he say something encouraging to those who are enduring spiritual attack? What metaphor can the tent maker sow that will give them shelter in this stormy life, that will inspire them to stand firm, to be strong, and hold fast to the story for which they are now suffering He paces, he mumbles to himself, he shakes his head, he rubs his chin. Then he stops, turns around and faces the armed guard, the Roman soldier who is his constant companion. He looks him up and down slowly, allowing his eyes to rest for several seconds on his uniform, armour and sword. He meditates on each item and smiles knowingly as if a light bulb has come on over his head. Then he confidently dictates to the scribe, Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. A year ago, in my first few days at St. Paul's, a parishioner gave me a coin. On one side is a picture of the armour of God, and on the other is the image of a Roman soldier, kitted out in full battle dress, poised for action. And it has the words we've read this morning, Ephesians 6, 11-13, engraved around the edge. He told me to keep it with me because I was going to need it. He was right, and so I do. Apart from the time when it slipped down the side of the car seat, I have kept it in my pocket all day, every day, ever since. You don't need me to tell you it's tough out there. And not just out there, but here and here. In fact, the battles here are the fiercest and the bloodiest. Unlike our crusading Christian ancestors, we cannot read this passage as if Paul were rallying us to fight humans. He leaves no room for that misunderstanding. He begins, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What are these authorities and powers of this dark world? Well, they are the philosophies that dehumanise people. The ideas that destroy the dignity of human beings. The systems that deny men and women, girls and boys, the freedom and nobility that are theirs by birth as creatures made in God's image. And behind those ideas are genuine spiritual powers. Peter Jones, professor of preaching at Mercer University, gets specific. When unmasking the powers, one thinks of segregation, apartheid, fatalism, the mafia, addiction, bondage of the will, totalitarian states, a celebrity culture of glamorised bad girls and boys, serfdom in the medieval period, Nazi philosophy, unbridled nationalism, violence, hunger, racism, obscenity, nuclear weapons. You may want to add some more. We live in a material universe that is soaked with spirituality. Some of that spirituality is good and true and right. It liberates, dignifies, it honours beauty and goodness. 
It is founded in God and in God's Son. But there are other forces at work, and we, the followers of Christ, need to discern them and stand against them. In fact, in today's reading, Paul says, stand firm three times, being strong in our convictions, rooted in our faith, and nurtured in our church. And we have these weapons, the belt of truth. For a Roman soldier, the belt gathered his tunic together and helped keep the armour in place, as well as housing his sword. So when we wear the belt of truth, we will endeavour to live with honesty and integrity in all our dealings. We will not state something we know to be untrue. Oh, and that thing, you know how it is, when you don't actually lie, but you choose a form of words intending that someone will believe something false, we won't do that either. We will say what we mean and mean what we say. And that belt will hold our whole lives together and let us walk unimpeded. There's the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, doing what is right in the sight of God. Loving God with all we've got and loving our neighbours as ourselves. The feet fitted with readiness. Having a sure fitting, a footing that gives us a strong base from which to share the love of God with others. The shield of faith, one of those huge leather Roman shields that they used to form a tortoise with. Our faith is like one of those shields. We can face the fiery arrows of our spiritual enemy when our faith is in Christ. The helmet of salvation, the knowledge that God loves us and has forgiven and accepted us in Christ, allows us to hold our heads up, not arrogantly, but confidently. And the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon in the Christian's arsenal, is the word of God, Scripture. And so if we are to prevail in the spiritual war, we should have a relationship with the Bible and be able to base our thinking and decisions on what it says. Now I must admit, I'm a bit queasy with this war language. Part of me wishes our patron Paul had used nice peaceful concepts instead of spiritual warfare. But the harsh, unpalatable, stomach-churning truth is that we are called to conflict. This week, you will face an enemy. On a personal level, we will experience temptation, accusation, guilt, maybe despair, perhaps shame. Together as the Christian church in God's world, we will witness human degradation and injustice, locally, nationally and globally, in the media, online, even firsthand. We will encounter terrible human suffering, the work of spiritual powers that grip human affairs. We are Christ's soldiers, and our instruction this morning is to be prepared, get ready, put on your armour, and then stand. Prisons will be opened, 
captives will go free and we will see the victory of God. Amen.